Hello and welcome back to our first post virtual myth moot Silmarillion film project. That was kind <laughs> I was of a mouthful. When said first, I was like, "What's the first going to be?" Okay. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's the. I think this is how a lot of people account time. Um, right. <laughs> Days until myth mood, and then when you're on the other side of it, it's days exactly. since myth mood exactly. until we start until counting the down. To the myth. <laughs> yeah, until the announcement for myth mood eight, at which point it'll be days until myth mood. Eight. That's right. Uh, got That's a right. whole new calendar system. Like the, you know, it's like the sun rising and falling, pretty much. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. There you go. So yes, um, uh, I am your co-host Dave Kale, and I unfortunately, uh, due to various family commitments and having to watch the kids while my wife worked, did not manage to log in to Myth Mood, sadly. But hopefully, I'll catch some of the recordings later. Yep. But now let's let's talk to some folks who did participate. Uh, Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, and wait, Trish, did you were you did you get to go? I did not. I was oh. unwell actually, so oh, I did not make it. Man. So two bummers, yep. and but yeah, we and did we, have an awesome. We flaked time. on him. Yes. We did yeah, have I've an heard awesome great time, things. and uh, this was uh, a particularly noteworthy myth moot for many reasons. But in the film film context, it was very noteworthy because we had the first ever live performance uh, of a film film script. We uh, uh, Rhiannon and Marie organized a a uh, full full cast dramatic performance of episode f- uh, season four, episode seven. Uh, so this was the episode which started with the interlude with Galadriel and Celeborn by the river, um, you know, which was cute. And then the arrival of Círdan and his spilling the beans to Thingol about the kinslaying and... Um, Wow, that uh, was a good episode. Yeah, and then like you know, Finrod and and uh, uh, and Angrod getting arrested, right? And the whole like uncertainty and suspicions with you know then Luthien and Galadriel stuff, and uh, and then of course the final declaration of the ban at the end of the episode, That's and of awesome. course the B plot of that episode was the one where Caranthir and Kurufin. Uh, and Amros, mostly Caranthir, uh and Kurifin, uh, were negotiating with the dwarves uh, for the. So we got to meet oh, Telkar, right. and uh, it was uh, it was really fun. It was really good. It was great. I I, I played Amros and Maglor. Uh, <laughs> or sorry, not Maglor, Mablong. I apologize, misspoke. Um, and uh, <laughs> Mario wants me. To... Yes, I understand. You had a different hat for each character. Yeah. Right? So, so like you... I I just you know we we were I I. You know, there were varying levels of costuming. There was no like mandatory requirement for costuming, and needless to say, there were some there was some gorgeous costuming. Uh, 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 Rihanna played Angrod and had her full like Angrod costume, and um, uh, uh, our Luthien was in like a you know a gorgeous homemade Luthien dress and everything. Wow. Um, I just had my two really minor characters, so I uh, I was just I just differentiated by what hat I was wearing. So I had. Did you use like a baseball cap and just turn it around? No, close. <laughs> so I, I Mablung, I played with a baseball hat turned around backwards. I had like a black black cap turned around backwards, uh, and then Maglor, I had like a like a, a sort of a, a a a fitted winter cap, but it was red. Well, oh, right. Mike maroon. So I'm like, because because he's got red hair, right? So I'm like, I'm gonna. I'm gonna have the red hat when I'm playing Amros, but I, but I had the I had the hat like pulled all the way down almost over my eyes. I want I was going for the like soulful, moody artist look, you know. And they, I was accused of making Amros uh, instead uh, sort of look like a rapper, but um, 
anyway, I did my best, uh, but it was fun. We, we did. We, 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 we had a, we had a great time. Uh, Sarah Brown played Kurafin. Uh, oh, lovely! Yeah, it was good. It was it was it was very good. So yeah, no, it was it was a lot of fun. Sharon played Galadriel, um, and like uh, Yellowborn. Uh, uh, who played Caliborn? Oh, um, um, Catherine, who the uh, artist who did so many of the um, landscape paintings oh. and stuff. Um, oh, awesome. uh, w- she was with us, and uh, she was, um, uh, and Alan's sister yeah, from Alan the Prancing Sisto, Pony podcast yeah, did our, Thingol. He was on. Uh, he was on our uh, podcast the other day on on uh, time that's given us. It'll come out in a couple of weeks, and he loved. He just couldn't stop talking about being Thingol. He really enjoyed it. It was so funny. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, uh, yeah, he was uh, on in GoToWebinar. You can change your name. Um, you can like edit your name <laughs> throughout the course. So every time he popped up, he had like changed his name. So he was he was having fun with that. He was like, you know, Thingle who always listens to his wife and, you know, and that kind of thing. It was, uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was good. It was good. That's uh, great. So, no, it was it was it was a lot what of fun. Uh, was that recorded? I. Uh, yeah, it should be in there. It should be in there. If you have uh, moot cast, it should be in. The, it should be in. It should be in the set. Yep, yep. Oh yeah, it right. was. Uh, it was cool. Yes, exactly. Murray says he was King Thingol, but shorter. <laughs> yes, that was, that was uh, like another one of his descriptions. Um, yeah, no, it was. It was great fun, and and we had you know uh, we had a uh, you know wonderful discussions about film film uh, later on uh, that evening as well, which were really uh, which were really great. A um, lot of uh, sparked a lot of interest. Um, yes. Hey, Cecilia, good to see you. Yeah, yes. Uh, Mary, uh, we had uh, uh, who was the the narrator? She did a great job. Um, that was oh, really, that's great. That was really fun. Um, so yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's our report from MythMoot, which was fantastic, and we had uh, uh, we 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 had a wonderful time there. Um, uh, we have looking forward to just a couple of things here. Uh, first, we have our next digital moot. Uh, Middle moot uh, is going to be fully uh, fully virtual this year. Um, we're probably going to be uh, not doing in person moots. Probably still for the next you know through the end of the year. We're probably thinking middle moot. We definitely are planning October tenth. And that's so, you know, people can attend that. But most importantly, the call for papers is uh, open through the end of August. So if you missed MythMoot and you would still like to participate in another opportunity like this, MiddleMoot is not as long as MythMoot. It's only going to be a one day thing like our regional moots generally are. Um, But there will be opportunities for folks to join us there as well. So, uh so there we are. Uh, the second announcement, something we announced at MythMoot, we have a new Signum shop, uh, which I wanted to share with folks. We've been meaning to start a Signum shop for some time, uh, and uh, we we finally we finally have done it. So I just wanted to show you. You can you can either go to the website there uh, that I had on the slide, or uh, just go to the Signum University site. We have a blog post uh, here with the link. Oh yeah, excellent. Very good. Yeah, I should probably have my browser working properly. There we go. Um, uh, and then you can just sort of click through here to the Redbubble site. Redbubble is the the service that we're using for this, which is really cool because they not only make really good stuff, um, but also they do international. They have international delivery places and stuff. So um, we were able. Oh, we, we had people from uh, definitely from Europe. I think from Japan uh, ordering already. 
and uh, you know able to get local delivery there so that the the uh, uh, the the shipping doesn't cost you for uh, you know an enormous deal. Um, but um, anyway, okay. So uh, just just to show you briefly how this works, right? We have a, a bunch of designs, uh, you know, Signum logos and stuff, which is always fun. But we also have more fun designs because we couldn't help ourselves. Um, so the way that this works, if you go to um, go to a design like the Balrogs don't have wings design, right? Um, and uh, you click on this, and then it gives you all the options. So you can get that design put on like any one of the. So you can get it on like a face mask. You can get it on a a shirt of almost any kind and style and size. You can get it on laptop covers, iPhone covers. Tapestries, coasters, spiritual boulders, floor pillows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tote bags, aprons, the whole thing. So you you will notice that many of our designs, and you can get that with any of these designs. You click on the design and then you can get it on anything that you want. Uh, And it's it's, it's really cool. Um, So, yeah, we have have several inside jokes from exploring the Lord of the Rings uh, in our store already. The spiritual boulders, of course, is one. Uh, Bob is a Hobbit is another exploring the Lord of the Rings joke. I've been saying I want a Bob is a Hobbit shirt. Um, um, This is the one that is probably my favorite really like deep Tolkien joke. Uh, and that's our green dragon, uh, uh, logo, which is like the, uh, the, a, a pub sign for the green dragon with the slogan. Great is our middle name underneath. Very <laughs> clever. So you can that's have the green, good. great dragon, uh, uh, without just confusing people or making them think that it's right. a mistake. Um, now I can't help but notice that we don't have any film film designs yet, and we should do that. So we're we're really interested in so this is just sort of a start, right? We wanted to have a few out there, um, but we're very interested uh, in expanding our selection here. So, are there film film themed stuff? Like, is, is there is there stuff from film film that you've that you've been thinking like I really want to have that on a shirt or even like a sticker or something like that? Um, Florian, I was thinking about a Bobway design. Uh, that was one of the things that did occur to me when I was looking at it over the weekend at Mythmood. Um, but I couldn't figure out how to how to make the um, exactly what to say for the Bobway design. Um, but um, Anyway, we'll um, so just I just wanted to throw that out there. If there are things that you guys would like to uh, uh, would like to see, I'm sure in the there design. is. Oh, y'all, Marie, you should set up a, a like a forum thread. Have people right. put ideas yes. in there. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I'll bet there is stuff. Absolutely, I like I, the I like the U catastrophe pillow. That's yes, good. yes. Yeah. Although, I, um, although I would like a variant that says I need a U catastrophe button. <laughs> right exactly yeah. exactly yeah hey you know i was um I was, I was also thinking dave i was like you know the um little you catastrophe thing i'm like how adorable is would that be on a kid's mask right mm-hmm. like a kid's face mask that'd be that'd be be be, be pretty classic right there um <laughs> marie says yep. but that's exploring lord of the rings we need a walking tree oh that's grifflet actually that's grifflet. never that's forget <laughs> walking tree never forget shirt in <laughs> <laughs> or 2020 burn it all down <laughs> burn it all down <laughs> yeah. yeah campaign shirts would be really would be really funny actually lots of possibilities oh, yeah. for campaign shirts fan or 2020 burn it all down yeah 
Yeah. Appropriate. I like it. I like it. Um, anyway, yeah. So uh, uh, feel free if you have suggestions, uh, send those suggestions along to info at signum universe at signumu.org. So info at signumu.org. Uh, and uh, always happy to get suggestions. There was one suggestion that came in during Myth Moot, which immediately we were like, okay, this has to happen. And, you know, so I'll be expecting this design to be released uh, sooner rather than later, I think. Because um, someone was noticing when we were kind of, sh- uh, 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 you know, just kind of browsing through that one of the objects that you can get the design printed on is a coin purse. And so somebody was saying, well, Uh obviously we need a purse that has ear. Who are you written on it? Right. Um, (laughs) So we can get the talking purse. And I'm like, as soon as, as soon as I think it was Kat Sass who suggested that and we were like, well, yeah, okay. Obviously, right. That obviously has to happen now. Um, uh, (laughs) Anyway. Okay, cool. Um, So, uh, yeah, would, uh, would have, would be happy to, um, uh, uh, put other suggestions that people had. So that's the other thing. So new fun Signum thing. And of course the store helps to support Signum. Um, it's, you know, we don't make an enormous amount of money from it, of course, but you know, uh, it does, you know, we'll bring in a, a little bit of passive income to Signum, which is always a help of course. Uh, so that's, uh, well, you never know. I mean, you know, you could be building a whole new dyna, you know, new enterprise here with this. You that's know, right? You never know. <laughs> you never know. Okay. Um, oh, Florian suggests a thinking fox design. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I, I can see it. I can see it. All right. Okay. But let us get down to business because we should get down to business. Okay, because we got a bunch of things to cover tonight. The most important of which is. Arevel. Um, okay, so we've got connections here between season five and season four. Let's start off by trying to remember what on earth happened in season four with Arevel. So Arevel decides to go with Turgon, and she that decision, um, her decision to join him, one of the things, of course, that we were... Um, spotlighting was the fact that she was making a decision. We didn't want Arathel to go along with Turgon just as a kind of attachment, right? You know, like because she's a girl and living in her brother's house, she just following in his wake kind of yeah. packed along with Turgon and with the rest of his luggage. Right. We didn't, we, we, we didn't want that. Um, so we had Arathel. In fact, the, um, uh, the process of, um, uh, the process of Aravel's decision making was a was a a, a a little theme or a little um, subplot uh, there in season four. We actually had her be like an active advocate on behalf of her brother, right? That yes. she brought in, and not only that, but she actually influenced people to yes, buy into folks from Neverast. Exactly. exactly. Right. 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 Um, yes. So. Now all I have to do is remember exactly what the rationale was, what the argument was. I remember that it was a, it was a, it was a positive, not a negative thing. That you know, for Arvel, the relocation to Gondolin wasn't about retreat, right? It wasn't right. about escaping and getting away from stuff. It was about playing a particular role, right? It was about. <clears throat> It was a. It was for her a kind of taking action. 
um, Olmo had sent this vision uh, to Turgon, right? And he was following through um, uh, on that vision as well. And yeah, as uh, Rhiannon and Maria are reminding me, and thank you, you guys are so useful at reminding me <laughs> of these things. It was about the preserving the essence of the Noldor to be ready to take action later. Exactly. So right. it was it was forming a refuge, but it was ne- but it was never supposed to be an end, right? It was a means right. to an end, and the end was always the protection of the people. But it was all it was it was a strategic move in the war against Morgoth, and that's very much how Aradell saw it, right? Um, and I remember us talking about the fact that she gets why she gets so dissatisfied is she it's like Turgon's kind of preserved things in amber. Yes. You know, it's there's no changing. It's not changing. It's not it's like it makes her impatient that you know, he seems more more interested in just having things be petrified as opposed to this proactivity that she was had really bought into. Yes. I think the, and and as I recall, her uneasiness right her her unrest here at the beginning of season five um obviously we had decided from the beginning that we did not want her just to get bored um right you know we didn't want her just to be sort of like the person who can't keep her attention on things very long right um so instead we wanted this to be like basically a difference of opinion between her and turgan and the easiest way to play because we know the way in which turgan is going to go wrong Right. Um, We have to be a little bit careful not to make him go wrong too quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. He can't be all the way down the road that he's going to get to when he's going to reject Olmo's message. Mm -hmm. Right. Later on. But I think that the way we want to play this is for Aradel basically to see it coming. Right. She anticipates. She can tell that things are going awry. She can tell that Turgon is already in, is, is showing alarming signs already of um, sh- shifting well, and you from know, the, to, you know, into a more permanent uh, right. kind of desultory retreat. And actually her pushing back like this could make him defensive, which mm-hmm. actually could increase him like his commitment to that path. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like yeah. She even could be part of the agency that has him take that direction because he, you know, gets invested and defensive. And certainly from the outcome, right? I mean, uh, right. when, you know, the thing with Aeol happens and, and, and you know, he follows her back. And basically, he will be in a place at the end of the season, you know, at the end of this plot line, where he's going to be saying, like, well, see, look how that turned out. Right. right. Um, and feels reinforced. It feels reinforced in his own opinion. So we can certainly show her attempt uh, to have a um, uh, her 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 attempt to make a change. Right. Her attempt to shift things around, kind of having a perverse effect on Turkin's own point of view by the end of the season. Um, I, I would think that we would actually start this season. She would be troubled. In other words, the first from the first time we see her on screen in this season, she's troubled Yes, because it's got to be a hard, hard, hard decision for her. Right. I mean, this is not just overnight or in one conversation she decides to go. It's got to really kind of almost be like tear her apart sort of, you know, it's like a really hard decision. So here we saw her last season being this advocate and now, you know, now, you know, we come to her and she's, 
troubled in spirit, so yeah. to speak. And I agree that that needs to be like when the when the curtain rises in Gondolin in mm -hmm. season five, things are not right. Well, right. Right. Um, exactly. Right. I love Marielle's suggestion. Marielle was just saying that um, we could have him. The 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 impetus of it could be his uh, making of the, the the replica trees. Remember how he makes the the replica trees of gold and silver? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. His making of those trees and some, you know, like speeches that he makes about that and everything could yes. be the things that lead that Great lead idea. her to think, OK, hang on a second. Brother mine. What, why are you making? Why are this, you doing this? Yeah, yeah. Why are we why are we doing this? Like and now we have settled down forever in this little sheltered paradise that Omo has led us to and our troubles are behind us. And now let's like settle in for the indefinite future of like secluded living in Gondolin, you know, in this heavily gated community that we have built here. Um <laughs> You know, and uh, with a strict HOA, exactly. <laughs> and she, and she's like, uh, um, "Hang on, like that wasn't the plan, right? That was never the plan. The plan is not to settle down here forever. The plan is not to, you know, just close out the rest of the world. It's to, you know, this is part of a larger uh, strategy." Um, and uh, yeah, okay. Marie said we did show that he was starting to work on those trees, but a speech this season will work. Right. Exactly. So it maybe yeah, he's like, you know, um, uh, he could have taken a long time working on those, you know, so maybe or, or may again, he just makes a speech standing between his two replica trees. Right. And uh, and and it's just I don't think she needs to have like a, a foreboding. I don't think she needs to have foresight. We have to be careful. We're at risk of uh, overplaying. Right foresight this this uh this season right we already have fingolfin having a significant prophetic insight right uh that's going to lead to his uh final battle um uh we had the dreams of course uh last time um we're we're you know we, we were suggesting some kind of foresight possibly also with um uh you know uh Ignore and Endrath, maybe. But anyway, so... Well, um, and I don't yeah. know that it's necessarily foresight. I mean, what I could see is a little bit of backsight. So, I mean, I could see almost yes. a scene where he's doing this speech, where she's going... She's in her mind saying, wait a minute. And we have, like, a back flash to him talking to her last season. Right. Because remember, we did talk about that he had to... He really has to kind of enroll her in this, yes. right? Yes. This season four. Yeah. And we could have a little bit of a you know, reminder on yeah. screen of her in her memory of him saying this right. stuff and how the two just don't match. And she's or like, even just in heck? dialogue, like, Hey, you, know, right. you said this, what the heck? You right. Know, that right. would be relatively easy. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I agree. I, I, I don't think it should be a, like, you know, my heart tells me that Turgon shall, right. it, but rather just like, I mean, it's just a conclusion that she draws by paying well, it's, attention. Yeah, it's like what changed, you know, something changed. Yes. And that's not, this, you are not talking about the thing that I was advocating. Exactly. Know? Exactly. They, uh, she, and, and it really is a question of her holding. This is not a question of her. Sh she's not the one who's shifted, right? She's holding to the original right. vision and right. he's not, and they've not yet come to a, uh, like absolute loggerheads, right? It's fine, right. but she can sort of, she's, th th this is the point at which she begins to see the drift, right? Um, so the question, and Marielle was, um, uh, was asking this question as well. When she leaves, are we intending to have her plan B to leave forever? 
I'm thinking not. What if she's what if her proposal? I'm thinking big fight. I'm thinking yeah, there's like fight. a big clash with Turgon. He's okay. super defensive. He may even get to the point where it's like my word is law. You know, like he gets like this my way or the highway. You know, kind of. And yeah. she's like, okay, I'm yeah. out of here. Yeah. But she doesn't leave. She leaves to kind of. I just need some space kind of thing as opposed to being like i'm out of here forever thing. and she would want to she's not leaving just for a change of pace right she right. would have a plan she would have a purpose for what she's doing so she doesn't just want to go hang with the feanorians because she thinks they're cool right she wants to go to the feanorians and so even turgan's resistance there i mean in the text he explicitly you know he's like don't go you know you should go go only to you know uh to our brother fingen and don't go to the feanorians and she's like don't you tell me right i'll go to the feanorians if i want to you're um, not the boss of me <laughs> exactly um but again that i think is an opportunity to show the difference there she's like i want to strategize it's important for us to connect with right. the feanorians what are we going to we're going to turn our backs on that now like that's that that's that's the direction we're going um so uh so yeah i mean again i don't think that there is no element of uh of you're not the boss of me but you know turgen Turgon is very, you know, my word here is law. That's very much right. his attitude. And we'll see, you know, that will, um, what will be really interesting is to kind of play that off on either end, right? That is when he pulls that with Arathel at the beginning and then when he pulls that with Aeol at the end, right? And Aeol is going to be very much, you're not the boss of me at the end. He's going to be that very explicitly and very aggressively. And I think, you know, we're going to want to think about how that looks both times, right? Both at the beginning and at the end. Um, Turgon is going to look... He's going to his his own. And again, we can sort of show how this whole experience is actually pushing him in a negative direction. Exactly. It's making him more ossified in his perspective. It's making him more stubborn. And yet when he does it with Aeol, the second it's much more uh, justified. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we kind of we see it, we support it. And yet we can see that it's sort of more. more dangerous. Um, uh, so, but Stephen H, I agree. He is going to allow Horn and Hoor to leave. Absolutely. Again, we can't, um, we can't make him absolutely, you know, we can't let it, let him just flip a switch, right? We can't make him into bad Turgon yet. He's, he's a long ways away from bad Turgon. He's got the whole near knife and you know, he's got the, the Horn and Hoor thing and the whole near knife experience before him, before he goes all the way down the road that he's eventually going to go, you know, uh, when he says no uh, to Olmo. Um, Our job is to play the long game on that because it is going to be several seasons down the road before that happens. Um, But to make sure that we're setting that up, right, that we're preparing for it. And this season is the beginning of of that. Absolutely. It's the very first steps of that. Mm -hmm. And again, I think the Aeol situation at the end um, Turgon is going to look good at the end. I mean, he's going to look mm-hmm. good. Uh, we're going to be on his side. Um, you know, when he uh, passes judgment against Aeol and has him thrown off the cliffs, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking people are going to cheer right when Aeol gets chucked off the cliff. I mean, yeah. I, I could see us arranging that, that he looks strong and just uh, and uh, and everything. And yet Idril, I think, should be the one who has misgivings, right? Who kind of is the heir of Aravel's misgivings, perhaps? Um, 
and uh, uh, you know, and she could express some concern about sort mm-hmm. of the direction uh, that this is going. Not that he's over the edge or anywhere near the edge yet, um, but the direction in which he's uh, in, in which he's pointing. Yeah, Florian was also thinking Idril uh, is the she's she's clearly the obvious candidate to have. Um, to be the the kind of dissenting, not 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 dissenting voice, but dissenting troubled, yeah, uh, you know, dissenting mood, right uh, there in the final in the final scenes, um, and she is insightful, Marie. I agree. Idril is Idril is very wise. Um, yes, but like Marielle said, he's doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, Aravel's plan. So I would think that Aravel would, when she leaves, she would say, you know, I'll come back in and check in with you again. Right. Right. Um, but um, I, but I'm totally going. Right. Um, and she does plan to go to the Feanorians because why wouldn't she go to the Feanorians? I mean, she would know that she, you know, one of the things that was one of the strongest counter arguments against her going to Gondolin was she had a good relationship with the Feanorians. And so when Aravel is kind of taken out of the political picture by her isolate through her isolation in Gondolin, um, one of the natural kind of ambassadors between the people of Fingolfin and the Feanorians is, is, is out of the picture. Right. And so one of the things that she would want to do uh, is check in with the Feanorians. How are things going with them? How are relations between the Feanorians and, you know, the Fingolfinians? And uh, and so, you know, so she would she would certainly uh, want to want to do that as well. Marielle suggests maybe she envisions herself as Gondolin's connection to the outside world. Um, if she and I, I kind of like that, Marielle. If she is. Mm-hmm. Um, if she is holding to that concept of um, we have, um, you know, this is a this is sort of a temporary, th- not a temporary thing exactly. That's not quite right. The, but this is one stage of the plan, right? Um, uh, we are supposed to make a refuge until the time comes, right? Um, she's going to say like, so we should be keeping up. With go- what's going on out there, right? Um, and uh, you know, we should be we should be in conversation uh, actively with them. And I agree, we shouldn't open the gates. We shouldn't have lots of people coming and going. It's crucial that Gondolin remain secret, um, which is why only one or a very small group of people should only very occasionally sneak out, right? Um, but that is necessary, and that can be her proposal, right? And what she's sort of envisioning uh, doing there. Um, I like that. I like that. Okay. Um, let's see. So her journey through Nandungorthab will happen prior to Halleth's people entering that place. Uh, yep. Okay. So she will be our first introduction to Nandungorthab. That's very interesting because it means that when we, when the people, when Halleth is like, What's this place called? Nandun Gortheb? Sounds great. Let's go that way, right? Then the whole audience will be like, oh, no, because they've already seen it, right? With Arathel, we need a, um, you know, a, a, a kind of horrifying sequence, right, of her traveling through Nandun Gortheb and her getting separated uh, from her escorts. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah, we get that. Now, uh, let's see. Um, 
interesting. Sorry, thinking about the connection, the potential connection uh, or parallel between her leaving Gondolin and the Adine migrating to new homes. Um, I think I don't see a a very direct parallel because it's not a migration necessarily so much as it is just a. Um, I, I I prefer rather than thinking of her as migrating, I prefer of thinking of her as just stepping out for a bit, right? G going on a mission, essentially, right? Um, and her planning to report back. Um, I think that that I I like better how that works, um, but of course, you know, picking up on uh, uh, some of the news and especially the discovery of men is certainly something that she's going to be interested to hear about. And we can, and okay, let's see. Okay. So like Andreth and I ignore her love story with Aeol is tragic and ends in death. Certainly it is also tragic. This is the season of dysfunctional romance. Um, I don't think we're going to have another season, which has, a higher density of dysfunctional romance than this one. This is our big dysfunctional romance season um, uh, between uh, the requited but unfulfilled and bitterly frustrated on Andreth's part, uh, uh, you know, relationship between Andreth and Ignor on the one hand uh, and the consummated but weird and probably abusive relationship between Arthel and Aeol. Um, it's... Um, it's weird. Yeah, no, we will get more. It's not going to be our only dysfunctional romance. Maria, I agree. Tarmiriel and Arferzan gives us more opportunity for dysfunctional <laughs> romance later on. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's the, uh, it's the, uh, it's there's the, a high density. This high season. density, exactly. There's and yes, yeah, Stephen, it's certainly true. Uh, Turin and Neonor will count as dysfunctional romance as oh, well. Yeah, but again, I'm talking about density, right? We've got like two major yeah. love stories in this season, and both of them are dysfunctional, right? Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, um, Florian says, I can't wait for the Queen Baruthiel season. Oh, yeah. Queen Baruthiel is going to be a big character. You know that. Uh, you know that. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, okay. Uh, so we do need to, and of course the timing, right? Uh, Aravel is going to meet Aeol, not at the beginning, but near the beginning of the season. And then we're not going to do the return to Gondolin with Maeglin and then the death of Aeol and the death of Aravel until like, episode 10 or 11. So it's going to not frame the entire season, but it is going to come near the beginning and then come near the end. And certainly the whole sort of um, meat of the relationship between Andreth and Ignor is going to happen in between, right? So this is going to f mostly frame, not entirely. I mean, the Andreth and Ignor will still be continuing until his tragic death in episode 12 or 13. Um, uh, so it's not like it's going to, you know, bound it entirely. Um, but it certainly will serve as a kind of framing mechanism for it. And in between episode two or three, when they first meet in episode 10 or 11, when the tragic 
culmination of the RFL and Ale story comes about, um, we're going to have to be going back to them and showing the progress, the increasingly dysfunctional progress of their relationship and of Mygwin's growth and development, right? The weird and unhappy, um, uh, the unhappy childhood uh, of Mygwin. Um, so, yeah, um, I... I just wanted to point that out because there will be plenty of opportunity for juxtaposition between the two along the way. Um, there might be several episodes. Um, there might be several episodes in which we can actually juxtapose them, like cut from one in one scene, one pair in one scene to the other pair in another scene. Um, Arthel and Aeol and Andreth and Ignor. Um, so it certainly does behoove us to think about them in parallel uh, to some extent. We don't have to make them closely parallel, but but again, we're going to be we're going to be kind of bringing them together. But OK, let's get several people commenting on this. So let's go ahead and get to the big question, um, which is uh, Aravel's being not wholly unwilling in the famous phrase of the Silmarillion, um, that she is not wholly unwilling. Um, uh, a more dubious phrase applied to a wedding, I uh, don't think I've heard, <laughs> right? Um, she's not wholly I think, unwilling. I think in modern parlance, that's what they mean by consent, right? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I remember us talking about this to a certain degree, but the thing is, I mean, it is... I think Aeol is like the absolute, you know, he's going to be like a textbook abusive relationship, which is in the beginning, he's charming. Right. I know we've talked about this, right? And right. she's, that's what gets her. I mean, she's, she's a sharp cookie, right? So it's yes. not like, you know, if he was like, if he showed his true colors right away, she'd be like, whoa, I don't think so. You know, and then, then it wouldn't be a wholly, un, a wholly, not wholly unwilling thing because she'd be like, no, get away from me, dude. Yes. But I think he's going to be charming. And I think given her, I mean, she's got to have a little bit of fallout from this whole, like, you know, almost kind of a split from her brother or at least temporary split in her mind. You know, so she's kind of fertile ground for someone to come along and be charming and be attentive and be, you know, quote unquote, listen to her, at least at the beginning yep. kind of thing. So he, yep. he pulls her in, which is so exactly the way this kind of being operates you know they're very very good at the beginning pulling in their prey if you will <laughs> yeah 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 well i wonder i wonder if there i wonder also if there needs to be something more to it in terms of like um you know like i wonder if there needs to be a connect you know like i think there needs to be it needs to be not purely kind of sort of romantic attraction yes. Yes. Right. Like, I, I think it agree. needs to be connected in some way to like sort of what she's going through and yes. her reasons for leaving. Like, and it, right. and it shouldn't also be shouldn't also be like rebellion. It shouldn't just be like, ha, this will show my brother. Like, I, I <laughs> yeah, think, no, 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 no. Right. Yeah. I think, I think part of his charm, as you say, Trish, should be 
it should be something about him offering her the opportunity to engage with the wider world somehow. Which, he's kind, which doesn't, he doesn't make a lot of sense. It's, like, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just I got just got so excited. <laughs> <laughs> or he ends up being the person she wanted her brother to be, right? That he says all the stuff she wanted Turgon to say. Because he's going to listen to her. Yeah. You know, this isn't going to take place over huge, long dialogues. But you know what I mean? It's like that's part going to probably be part of the attraction. It's like he mm -hmm. gets it. Mm -hmm. He gets he, it. He does have right? to Now, I think in his mind, what would motivate him to do this is – didn't I, I'm trying to remember. It seems like we talked about this. I mean his motivation would be he wants to possess her. He wants her as a possession, yes. right? Um so that's what his motivation is to do this. But he, but you know, he's very, he's easily able to sort of take on this persona. He innately knows what's going to, you know, attract her, right? Yeah. But yeah, I think for her, I think you're right. I think it would be, you know, the gosh, she really get this guy gets it. You know, he yeah. really gets what it is I've been trying to tell Turgon all this time. Because there's only two right. options, right? Either, either, upon meeting him, she is so swept away or you know controlled or ensorcelled or whatever um, yeah <laughs> uh, she's either either something happens to her to make her forget all the stuff that she just that we've just been talking about you know she's like no this is important like we have to hold to the vision except Aeol's really dreamy like she's got to like change oh, God, her mind completely and abandon up. it or <laughs> she has to see it as part of that picture Right. She has right. to be convince right. herself right. that her joining herself to Aeol is going to further these ends that she's right. committed to. There has to be this right. makes me feel dirty putting it this way, but there has to be a political element, essentially, to to right. the, the relationship with Aeol. It's not just personal, yeah. Um, yeah. because if that's she's just I, I, indulging her own self, then that's uh, her abandoning the principles. We just saw her. We just set her up as defending quite significantly. Yeah. And I think, and I think the one important piece that we can't lose here is, um, if she's not wholly unwilling, that means that she's kind of unwilling. Yes. And so she the question becomes, right? And the question becomes, why was she unwilling? And if she, if she had reservations, as you say, why would she marry this dude? And right. I think, I think the way we deal with that is we're setting her up as this person who's acting on principle. So the reason she would enter into this marriage would be on principle. on principle. So the unwilling part probably comes from the fact that she probably actually doesn't really even like him all that much. She right. probably thinks he kind of, put, he probably puts her teeth on edge and she probably, maybe she doesn't find him attractive, whatever. But basically like it, the direction I think we go in is that on the personal side, she actually doesn't really like him. All, you know, she actually doesn't care for him personally. But she's more, but she's interested in him or what a relationship with him, like, will enable her to do. Right. And there are two things that we know about Aeol, uh, two things that we're going to establish about Aeol, that the text establishes about Aeol, that provide opportunities. Because like, the obvious question then becomes, what does Aeol have to offer, right? Why does she believe right. that marrying right. this random loner dude who hides in Nan Elmoth is going to be a massive political advantage for the Noldor. There are two possible things, right? One is his smithcraft, Galvorn, right? He does have this remark. I mean, Unglaka, it's, it, the swords are really good, right? I mean, this is, you know, there, there, there is, he is a legitimate resource as far as that is concerned. 
I agree. That's one possibility. That's pretty minor, though. Like, for her to marry the dude for Just his because swords? He makes swords? Right. I mean, like... <laughs> That's a little shaky. I think. I think. I think. She's, I know he's uh, a little off, but he makes these great swords. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Um, but the. I think the cooler opportunity, um, uh, and Florian was suggesting this, is the dwarves. The Noldor. Ah, there you go. Right, he's got right, relationships right, right, with the dwarves right. like none of yes. the Noldor do. Right, and especially since say, we, thinking we back, have to make him a player somehow. He, yes. he has to like he's got to factor yeah. in. He's got to matter. Exactly. Thinking back yeah. to the scene which we just acted out at Mythmoot, um, Carinthir did not do the world's greatest job at establishing positive relations with the dwarves. Right, he managed to not screw it up entirely. Right, um, but the dwarves aren't exactly you know, falling all over themselves with friendship and volunteerism in the direction of the Noldor, right? Um, and Aravel could realize that somehow. <laughs> we have to figure out how she realizes that. Um, yeah. But Aravel could realize that, and um, he could... Uh, uh, that could be one angle that she's... That leads, you know, he, basically she sees him as the the link the opportunity right the the the, right. the her opportunity so maybe she's imagining herself moving forward as the sort of the the new noldor ambassador uh to the dwarves and he is her um he's her entry ticket right he's already trusted by them um but to but she needs him for that because it's only his uh it's only his access to the dwarves that would make it possible um and i have the same question nick does which is why does she care about the dwarves which i think i'm not saying it in a mm -hmm. negative way it's like we need to establish why that would be important to her uh, allies in the war right she yeah. she would see uh, uh I'm not sure that she would necessarily have to have like a specific plan. Like she has a right. whole like plan of campaign in which the dwarves play a critical part. I don't think it has to or be. Or just the to fact that, that she finds out he's got that relationship opens up a new idea for her, right? Exactly. What right. if what if we could establish a real friendship, right. a real alliance with the dwarves? Right alliance. now we tolerate yeah. the dwarves. They pay current right. tolls and you know, they do their trade and both sides seem to prosper from the dream. We have an amicable relationship with the dwarves. But what if there were an opportunity um, for, uh, you know, uh, to, for us to really establish a close bond that would let us really bring the dwarves on board as part of the siege? I mean, she also might see well enough that um, the dwarves could be really valuable allies when they're, you know, their enemy, of course, is hold up there inside of mountains, right? And the dwarves, they know mountains and they know tunneling, right? So they right. would be handy to have about. Uh, the Noldor, of course, some are of good the... miners and everything too, but... Right. I'm saying some of the yabats, yabats, yabats we're getting in the questions. I think we could actually... Her argument with Turgon could set this up. In other words, mm -hmm. in her argument with Turgon, it's going to be all of this, but we wanted, you know, the whole idea is to fight the good fight here in the in middle earth and you know he resists that so she comes out like you know kind of almost impetuously like i'm going to make it happen 
and it doesn't matter that Fen Finrod or whoever it is has a good relationship with dwarves. It doesn't, you know, like she's going to make this, you know, she could come out like, by gosh, you know, I'm going to make this, you know, thing, this plan work that we originally did. And it doesn't matter that whoever has relationships with the dwarves. So I think it would be easy to, it would be easy to, to uh, show that this would be a natural thing for her. Right. Now I have a question, which is how, how do we and how quickly do we turn this into kind of a classic abuser abusee relationship because she's going to end up in that position of being the abusee of not stockholm syndrome that's not what i'm talking about but you know what i mean it's, it's like she stays yeah. on yeah in spite of the fact that you know this is happening to her and i'm not sure how that how do we make that transition sort of thing because this is, I, unfortunately, this whole season can't be this one story, darn it. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, yes. Um, um, <laughs> oh, Nick, I think, um, so next, next, yeah, but here, uh, uh, Nick continuing his trend of just raising objections to every good idea that we have uh, <laughs> says, but AO is a misanthrope. If he's going to have some trouble, uh, he's going to have some trouble getting the idea of creating a greater alliance. Oh yeah, of course, Nick, he's not going to be in favor of it from the beginning. He has no, oh, no. he has no intention of following through on this, right? He's saying what he needs to say to, to possess exactly. her. That's the whole thing. He's, exactly. he's, he's lying. Go along I mean, he's just it. being, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's saying what he knows he needs to say to pull her in basically. He's not really earnest about any of it. And, it, you know, uh, we, it's not even necessary that, that, that this be entirely a deception, right? right. Maybe, maybe she, she kind of knows, like, I can't really count on this guy to do this. Um, right. but, she, but she still, like, she still, but she still sees the opportunity and, has, and believes that she can make it happen. Right. She thinks and, she, and she can make it happen it. without, without right. yeah. That's a good and one. Change him. Perfect. Which, of course, is and another the, classic pattern in an abusive relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Part of the tragedy of the relationship is is that she's she's gonna it's gonna be her personal failure to to achieve. Like, what would make her more yes. disillusioned than anything than like all of her grand plans and dreams uh, just like failing utterly, and she just ends up being Ale's wife, like stuck stuck in his and you know because that's that that. So, so as we set this up, the question, the, the natural next question is, why would she then flee him again and go back to go back to Gondolin, the place that she was disillusioned at? And so, the only reason she would yeah. do that is if she was even more disillusioned here. Exactly. <laughs> she, she, she's yeah. giving up. She's giving up. Um, Defeated. Yeah. Defeated. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So, yeah. No, I really like that idea. She would not be blind to his shortcomings, right? Um but she would be looking at him, I think, essentially as almost like a kind of like she'd be looking at him as raw material that she thinks she can shape. OK, right. He's kind of, you know, he's bitter and he is off to the side, but he's, he has power. Right. There's real power in him. And, and there is, you know, Ale is a strong character. He is a powerful person. If he set himself to, you know, both his skills as a smith and his own personal presence and everything, he's he's a force to be reckoned with. And if she could 
harness that, right? If she could get, if she could recruit him essentially to be on board. Um, and, and, you know, again, this whole thing with the dwarves is this new angle that she's thought of. She, nobody knew that this schmo existed. I mean, some people knew he existed, but, um, uh, but nobody's really paid any attention to him, right? Everyone's overlooked ale. Everyone has just been like, okay, creepy guy wants to stay by himself in the little woods. Um, we'll let him do that. Um, and she's, and so she's thinking, okay, no, wait, this is an, this is an opportunity that nobody else is taking advantage of. Right. I think, I think I could do this. Um, and, uh, and, you know, yeah. there's a certain degree of almost pride, I want to say, or arrogance on her part, like mm -hmm. the way we're saying this about how she thinks she can change him. I think that's in keeping with her. She's, you know, yeah. she's Turgon's sister. I mean, she's a powerful woman in her own right, right? Right. So for her to think, you know. And overconfidence I, I don't is definitely a problem for her. Overconfidence. That's yes. it. Yes. That's yes. it. That's it. And so she's like, oh, yeah, he'll, you know, I'll be able to. I'll be able to bring him in. I'll be able to change him. Right. Now, uh, Nick, I want to object to your objection. Again, you are, you are go you're going way too far there. There is, it's not true that she's never shown interest in this, in these ends before. The ends are the same that she's been committed to all along, which is the cause of the Noldor in their struggle against Morgoth. And she went along with Turgon because she was convinced that this was, you know, through the insight given him by Olmo, that this was a really important step in that bigger process. And now she left and she has all, you know, she is like, okay, this is why I wanted to leave. Like I knew in my heart there was some reason why me staying there you know, and now it, I've been justified, right? My decision to leave Gondolin has been justified by this new opportunity that I've stumbled across, right? Um, to gain a new ally in, in him. And Nick, I do like the idea that he's like a more useful Feanor. He's like a slightly more docile Feanor. I mean, again, his skill as a smith would remind him, would remind her of Feanor uh, to, in mm -hmm. some ways, right? Um, um, but he can what be if, guided. He can be shaped. Her, what if that's part of her, like her, her dream? Her dream is like, I, I will, I can make him into the new thing. Or... Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, exactly. So, you know, but Nick, as far as the dwarf angle, like the, the reason I think the, the the reason the dwarf angle strikes me as, as not a step too far, but as necessary is that, Anything else would seem to be a departure. Her eyes are on the big picture, right? She is a visionary. That's why she, she, she caught the vision. She helped to further the vision of Gondolin, the Gondolin vision, as a subset of the larger Noldor uh, strategies against the enemy, right? Um, that was what that's where she is. So if she instead is just focusing on like this one guy, like I'm going to recruit a Smith cause he's, he makes good swords again. Like that's not enough. It's not enough. That's just a distraction. Not, that's a, oh, sub, that's a, that's, so that's a side wonderful quest. And I just, and he loved right. me so exactly, much. Right. Are that's we just making her, you know, wrapped up think, like a, like, you know, exactly. we cannot do that. You know, I think one reason this may feel a little bit artificial is probably if it was up to us, like if we had a clean field, Mm -hmm. these are not the two we would put together you know right. this is not a couple we would make but right. we don't get to that's not we got to make it fit <laughs> you got to make it fit and I, I and i think it can work you know but again but it 
the 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 challenge ultimately you know the biggest challenge that we have um and i think what we you know what will determine in large part whether we succeed or fail with aravel can we make this story work within the character that we've established right. for her? Um, right. And again, it just, it seems to me if she's just going to go off on a side quest um, and what, like sell herself, was she going to prostitute herself for swords? Like, is that what's happening here? Like, again, he's a Smith and we can, because in, in, in very few other ways, is he like, uh, uh, is he like Feanor other than his Smithcraft? Right. Um, so, um, uh, so anyway, this is, uh, but I guess, so I get her, 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 her eyes are on the, are on the vision or on the big picture. Right. And so this is why I think that this unexpected opportunity that she didn't anticipate and none of the other Noldor have seen, and she would know that none of the other Noldor saw this opportunity, right. Uh, to exploit Aeol's connection with the dwarves in order to establish, to, to work, to herself to work towards bringing in the dwarves as a, as a significant ally against Morgoth. She sees the, you know, the vision of this opportunity and, and she can see how this would fit. This is the next step, right? Now my brother is back in Gondolin and the Gondolin thing is well and truly launched. And I'm a little bit worried about him, but Hey, it's okay. It's, it's, it's going fine. Now I thought I was just coming out to like catch up on the news and to 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 connect with and and here bam this opportunity has fallen in my lap right and this could change everything as far as you know the 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 balance of the war with Morgoth again to me that would seem to justify her changing her plans and being like okay I was going to do all these things I was going to go visit my brother and I was going to go visit the Feanorians I'm just going to not instead of saying I'm just going to stay here in Nan Elmoth why does she do that why would our Arathel do that and again my answer to that question is she has to unless we're going to have her held against her will or entrapped or ensnared or ensorcelled in some way I think she if she's going to choose it it has to be chosen within the context of what she cares yeah. about, what she's committed to. And that's the direction I'd like to see. It's, it, it's her free choice. She doesn't get, you know, magicked into it, yes. you know, and she doesn't get strong armed into it. She kind of walks in on her own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, somebody asked, I think it was Stephen asked, why would she take Myglin with her if he's a part of Aeol? I mean, my simple answer to that is she's a mom. She's a mom. <laughs> He's a part of yeah. her too. Um, yeah. And here's, here's where I think we have a fun opportunity. Um, we get like one paragraph on Myglin's childhood uh, in right. the published Silmarillion. Um, we have a fun opportunity for some really cool and ominous foreshadowing, right? Um, Aravel, looking at her young child right at her young son would see we have lots of opportunity for fun dramatic irony like um she would see that he is going to play a pivotal role in the war with with uh with morgoth right which he will right um yeah uh, that's (laughs) true right um you know or even like that uh uh that he's you know and when when she goes i mean obviously she's going to take him back to gondolin with her because she believes that he is on her side Right. Um, and that's clear enough from the text. Right. That they um, uh, that she believes that she and Myglin are like a unit against Aeol, basically. Right. Um, right. So. And Nick says it's not entirely unlike the visions that Muriel was getting. Right. 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 
Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, Lincoln says the breaking point is him beginning to abuse Mygwin. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we know Aravel is going to die because she's going to throw her body between Aeol and uh, between between Mygwin and Aeol's spear, right? Uh, she's mm-hmm. going to take the wound for him and die of it. So d- d- this to me is not hard, right? Again, Trisha, she says right. she's a mom, right? Um, she loves her kid. That's, that's not going to be... Um, uh, that's not going to be that motivation won't be hard. No, I don't think so. I don't think, especially if she feels like, you know, she can easily tell her. I mean, remember what we were talking about, about her disillusionment and her disappointment and how everything has turned out and how she feels that all of her grand visions have failed. Um, She, um, she, would have one consolation, right? When she's leaving right. at the end. At least there's Mygwin, right? Yeah. Something My, good Mygwin has come and out of this. He has a grand destiny. Exactly. Right. Mygwin and his right. grand destiny. Uh, Thank God she didn't live to see that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You were right, except one little thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. She's almost perfectly correct about his grand destiny. Um, yes. Um uh, yeah. So, but anyway, Nick, uh, getting back to this other thing again, she's so Nick was challenging me and saying, you know, I was saying she's not going to prostitute herself for swords. And he's saying, well, aren't you suggesting she's going to prostitute herself for dwarvish allies? No. Remember, she's wanting to shape ale. She wants to she wants ale. Right. She's not just using him. She doesn't just, she's not, I used the word exploit before, politically speaking, right? To exploit his connection with the dwarves. But she's not going to just use him as, her plan isn't just to use him as a tool. Her plan is to, to shape and manage him, right? Uh, to bring him out of himself, to, she sees his great personal abilities, right? His strength of will, which he has, uh, his great power, uh, which he has, uh, his ability as a smith, right? Which and makes him. he's exerting him, himself to please her also. So he's he going to be. be putting. Best foot forward with her. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think that her vision for her marriage, right, is that first she like helps to shape Aeol and gets him to share her vision, right? And then the two of them together go among the dwarves and and you know, so she sees Aeol as a very valuable and fitting long-term partner for her. A right? Celeborn to her Galadriel, so to speak. Wait, I'm not sure that's the best possible <laughs> illustration of what I'm going for here. But yeah, something along those lines. Um, but, uh, you know, she's like, Galadriel did it. I can do it too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, she sees him as, a, as a, again... We don't need to insult Ale like that. <laughs> He has, I mean, he obviously has a lot to offer, right? I mean, he, he does. He has a lot of potential. He has a lot of resources. And there are also lots of red flags, right? But she's going to be ignoring those, believing she can overcome that stuff, right? right? Uh, right. Believing that she can shape him and right. form that he is going to, and he's going to give her every reason to believe that because he's going right. to go along with her. So, um, so that's her vision. She sees him as a fitting partner, Right. Um, and that he can share her vision and that, the t- you know, between the two of them, they can play this crucially important role. Are um, we going to show, are we going to show Aeol sort of 
I mean, I don't even know how we would do this, but are we going to allow the audience to see before she does that he's got, he's playing a longer game? Or okay. do we discover yeah. it? Well, okay. So let's hang on. Let's back up from that one step. We've been talking about this from from Arathel's perspective, primarily. Right. Why does she make this choice? Let's let's go into Ail's perspective for a second. Why does he do this? We've said he, he ultimately he's possessive, right? He sees her, he wants her. I think that there's a diseased ang- element in mm-hmm. his desire for mm-hmm. her from the beginning. Um, I think mm-hmm. that he is projecting onto her his bitterness against the Noldor. He wants to subjugate and punish her ultimately mm-hmm. like because of his hatred of the Noldor. Um, he desires her. She's beautiful and she is significant, right? But like by ensnaring her and bringing her under his power, dominating her by dominating her. It's like, he's getting his own back against the Noldor. It's like he's symbolically elevating himself. You know, he feels weakened, right? He feels like emasculated by the Noldor, right? Who have moved in and taken over the land and there's nothing he can do about it. Right. So he's going to get his own back symbolically, at least against all of the Noldor in his, um, uh, in his relationship with her. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, we can, psychologically speaking, that works pretty well. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. Now, Stephen H says uh, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have much reason to be bitter though. The reason why he's able to do businesses at all. Yeah. Well, that's what they say. Right. <laughs> um, but <laughs> we know that despite that, I mean, that's precisely what they say when he has his conversation with Kurofin, uh, in the text. Right. Um, uh, but yeah. Um, no, he's not necessarily reasonable about that, but, but yeah. Um, Probably a little bit of paranoia or some, you know, some of that, like imagined slights and things like that, right? It doesn't right. have to be an actual. Right. Absolutely. You know, real thing. Absolutely. So, um, okay. And I know we have to work out his backstory, Marie. We'll get to that. I want to, I want to, I want to just, since we're talking about Arthur here, I want to focus on the relationship itself. Um, so Trish, if this is what's in his heart, if not his mind, right. Right. And there's an extent to which he could feel himself to be in love. Like, I, I don't think he must necessarily be the cold and passionless spider at the center of the, you know, Nan- yeah, Elmoth I agree with that. I don't think this has, I don't think this is one of those hand, you know, ringing wahaha kind of things right. that he's planning right. this. I think it's just his nature. You know, he's, yeah. it, I mean, he's smitten with her probably to start with the idea mm-hmm. of owning her and dominating her. Isn't what's foremost in his mind, but it's his nature to do that. And that's what I'm thinking is we could see signs of it. It doesn't have to be verbal even, you know, he's got a collection of butterflies or you know what i mean it's like he's right, we see right, them being, exactly right right we you know we show him like pinning <laughs> you know bugs on a card you know yeah exactly exactly yeah or, you I know just add this to my collection kind of, skewer yeah. yeah yeah some kind of like weirdness you know like oh that's just really weird that he's got that or, right. you know like right mm, he's like really into taxidermy or something you know yeah, yeah. Uh, right right like jeez. <laughs> You know, so, yeah, so it could be just these weird little hints. It doesn't have to be like we see into his mind or he, like I said, he's not doing like a villain monologue or something like that. But 
I'm wondering, it even could be the kind of thing where the hints are so subtle that it could still take the audience kind of by surprise. In other words, the audience still could discover at the same time Arithel, but then they go back and rewatch and go, oh, there were actually signs all the way along. And, Absolutely. you know, I just missed them kind of thing. Yeah. So the same sort of. So here's what I would really love. I would love the whole first encounter, possibly the whole first episode with Arathel and Aeol to look absolutely like a romance. Right. To have no hint. So for somebody who has no idea to make it look like just the most like beautiful and romantic thing. Some enchanted evening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a big opposites attract kind of thing going on. Right. I mean, it's going to be dark meets light. We got the white lady of Gondolin, right? And you've got uh, and you've got Aeol, the dark elf. You've got her, you know, shining whiteness and his blackness, and you know, like them reaching out to each other. And uh, you know, he will, uh, you know, she is like light entering into his dark world, right? And uh, and he is like this, you know, this like this dark foundation of strength that she's joining right. herself to, and. I mean, oh my goodness! There's a lot of um, uh, uh, there's a lot of possibility for just just playing it as and, and so again, I don't want this to be Arabelle's only motive. I don't want her just to be like, oh, well, you know, and and be swept oh, away God. and and throw everything yeah. aside. Um, but I absolutely think. Um, uh, I absolutely think that would be, yeah. Nick says if he's stooped and not super attractive, uh, it could even seem sweet, right? It, he, he shouldn't be beautiful. Uh, he should, I don't think he should be gorgeous. Um, well, uh, we've got him, his cat. He's cast already, isn't he? Didn't we already cast ale? Did, I'm trying to remember. Like we've, we've like introduced yes, his backstory and cut it so many times yeah. that I can't remember. Mark okay. Strong. We did Mark strong. Who's that? Yeah. I forgot. I'll who go look is. him up. Who's Mark Strong? Yeah, um, it's not. I know uh, we went through all this, but yeah. Um, is I think can, what you might anybody, know him from. Yeah, can anybody just tell me so I would? Because I, um, I don't remember the 2009 show. I'm looking him up on enough. IMDb. Oh, he's perfect. Actually, I was looking at his picture. It's like, yeah, definitely. I'm trying to figure out he was what he was in that you might recognize. Corey, did you watch Shazam? Yeah, Shazam. Nope. He was in Shazam. Shazam. <laughs> He's played Mr. Knightley in 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 Emma. It? Not the late, no. not the not the recent one. But apparently, oh man, you guys are all citing things that like I've either only watched once a long time ago or haven't seen. Yeah, it's sad. I I'm not seeing anything really. Yeah, so Tinker this Taylor is this is the, uh, the 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 Green the Lantern, Emma. Um, he played Robin Hood. Oh, he played Godfrey and Robin Hood. Yeah, okay. so Godfrey and Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah, and Septimus and Stardust. I don't remember that well enough. The oh, movie, Septimus I mean. and Stardust. Yeah, 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 yeah. He played Lord Henry Blackwood in Sherlock. Oh, he played in the Sherlock Holmes with um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yes, he played exactly. Lord Blackwood. That was the bad guy, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mark Strong. Yeah, he played Lord Henry Blackwood. So he was the guy that yeah. in the first movie with those two. Yeah. That um yeah. that they had to fight against. Yeah. I remember him really. He was really good there. Yeah. That's 
Okay, I don't know if you remember that or not. But... <laughs> Nick is pointing out that he was actually in the movie Stockholm. <laughs> like, he's actually played the source of Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, <laughs> as it happens. Uh, oh, God, is that typecasting? I'm not sure. <laughs> I think we've kind of typecast uh, for Mark Strong, but it looks yeah, like we're not the first. Villains. Um, but I think, yeah, no, his is good. But I'll tell you what. I mean, you know, you remember him from that Sherlock Holmes movie. He definitely has that dark strength thing going mm -hmm, for him. Mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, um, okay, so, right. So if we play off the – so there can be – a real legitimate attraction between the two of them at the beginning, right? It can be, there can be a, not necessarily love at first sight thing, but it can be a, a real romance. Opposites attract kind of thing. Uh, yeah, certainly absolutely. an opposites attract thing. Um, and uh, as, uh, who was, so was this Nick? Who was, yeah, no, it was Marielle who was saying uh, a lot of romantic leads have a lot of red flags that get ignored yeah. for convention's sake, you know? So yeah, there's certain, I mean, it's true. It's not like Romeo and Juliet is the most red flag free <laughs> relationship <laughs> of all time. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Or fine. Otello. And yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> Desdemona. Desdemona. Certain number of red flags there also. Um, yes. Uh, so, um, yeah. So anyway, so right. So we have this, you know, what looks like, uh, you know, so, so again, I, it would be fun to leave the audience not knowing how to react. Right. Like they might have a bad feeling about it, but again, it might look like one of those like, oh, like this is going to, you know, this is going to like redeem him. It's just going to be, this is not just going to be sort of like a shallow thing. She's found. Yeah. She's found the partner she was looking for and her brother that exactly. she didn't have. And exactly. This is, you know, et cetera. Um, and he so, can respond favorably great? to her, you know, her, you know, as, right. she, as he tells her about himself, um, then, and then, you know, she'll be learning about the dwarves and then she'll get extra excited and see that this, you know, she's attracted to him at first. Um, remember, let's not forget that she does legitimately need help when she finds him, right? I mean, she's going to be fresh out of Nandun Gortheb, possibly like entering the stage chased by a giant spider, right? I mean, she, she legitimately needs help at the beginning. And so him taking yeah, her in and helping her is going to be an act of kindness to start with. And then she can... Um, and so especially if he looks like the, you know, the dark, awkward, uh, not really attractive underdog kind of romantic lead who still rescues her and he's got a lot of rough edges, but she's kind of into it. And, you know, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, lots of reasons to think that, uh, this could be a really positive thing. Right. Um, and he seems, and it seems good at first. He seems to go along, you know, it, sh he tells her about himself. She finds out about his, his, you know, Smithcraft and is amazed. He's not even a Noldo for crying out loud, but look at what he can make. Right. This, is a, this guy's, this guy's amazing. And, um, and then she finds out about his alliance with the dwarves. She's like happened across this guy who, uh, and she, you know, she feels the, the tension, Right. She's totally aware that there's some chemistry there. Right. Um, and so she knows she has an opportunity as well. And so this is another reason for her to talk herself into this. And so she finds out about the dwarves and, and then she talks about it. Right. Like, oh, like, 
you know, we need to, you know, work together and uh, like, you know, this is all part of the big, you know, the, our struggle against, you know, Morgoth and, uh, and everything else. And he goes along with it. Um, Marielle says, I'm making him sound a little bit like Baron minus the rescue part. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, and again, this was, uh, a really, in the first episode that we see them. Yeah. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, um, in fact, Marielle, I would want to play it up. Right. Um, I would, I would love to have him like spy her through like he's like looking through the bushes right and spies her uh uh showing up white in the darkness uh right through you know from from a place of hiding um uh absolutely absolutely um so so yeah it's i totally want to play up the parallels to baron and luthien because these these two are the anti-baron and luthien um there are actually a lot of parallels uh, within the within the the, the Silmarillion uh, between uh, Arathel and Aeol and uh, Baron and Luthien. Um, um, absolutely, absolutely, exactly, Stephen. We want when when so when we get to Baron and Luthien, uh, the audience thinking about this. I would love to see, you know, with Baron and Luthien with their meeting scene, the audience all to be cringing. Right. The audience all to be thinking this is a terrible, terrible idea. Right. And, and so we, we kind of pull the reverse on them. Right. In the next season, um, having kind of lured them into thinking this is a really good idea, only to have it turn out to be a complete and utter, you know, uh, you know, end up with murder. Essentially, I mean, like it just is like the, the, the most complete train wreck of any relationship. Um, and I don't think there are any relationships. I mean, we're talking about other dysfunctional relationships. Not even Turin Turinbar uh, had a relationship as bad as this one, ultimately. I mean, his incestuous relationship with Neonor is tragic in its own way, um, but not it still wasn't as dysfunctional as this. Um, I mean, they had a good marriage. If it weren't for the fact that they were brother and sister, uh, that could have, could have panned out. Um, it doesn't end like this. Um, but uh, anyway, so um, uh, so right. And even though even though their relationship ends in a double suicide, it's not because of the relate. Well, it kind of is indirectly. It's complicated, but you see what I mean, right? This is. I still think this is the worst relationship uh, in the entire Silmarillion. Um, and uh, um, as Marielle says, it does seem to be the only one that ends with a domestic violence fatality. Yeah. Well, okay. Iron and what's his face? Possibly. But anyway, never mind. Doesn't matter. Uh, point is, Broda, thank you. Uh, this is really bad. Right? This one is very bad. Uh, so, but we, if we lure people into thinking this might be you know, an against the odds successful relationship at first, and then it goes and, and ends up tragically horribly. And then we have Baron and Luthien, Luthien beginning uh, with parallels. I think we've got a lot of really fun opportunities there. Um, okay, so... I like that idea a lot. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. Lots of really fun opportunities. Um, uh, okay, so... And by the way, this, uh, let me hang on. Like, I think we have other. No, we don't. OK, let me just stay on my uh, slide here. I just want to make sure I didn't have other slides that I was meant to get to about Arthel and Ale. Um, we do still have the issue of the backstory of Ale. Now, remind me, because I had thought we cut all of Ale's backstory. We kept thinking about adding him in season four and then we kept postponing and postponing and then finally saying 
forget it. Let's just save it for season five. What did we have of him? We had him in, in I remember him being at, um, being at the, at Quivienen, right? I mean, he was, he was like one of the spokesperson Avari, um, you know, in the great debate at Quivienen. Um, yeah, was that it? Okay, that was it. That was all we got from him. Okay, so we already have, um, but you know what this shows, Marie? Leadership potential, right? Maybe not pointing in the right direction, but again, if only he had the right wife, right, who could bring him into line and, uh, you know, get him pointed in the right direction. Okay. Um, okay, and we did have good. Rihanna and Nick and Marie are all reminding me that we did have uh, Telkar talking about him. Okay, so Telkar told Karanthir about an elf who made evil weapons. Right. She mentioned the weapons, and there was something that was not right about those. Right. Um, but he wasn't mentioned by name. Okay. Great. Great. Um, okay. Um, excellent. So we need to do all the rest of his backstory. What have you been up to? What have you been up to? You know, since Quivienen. Um, but I think we have the opportunity there, right? She needs to find this out. I mean, like they've got to talk, right? She, he's got to tell her his story. Um, so we have plenty of opportunity for, for backstory, which we can give as dialogue, or which we because we don't have to go into that many details necessarily right um uh but okay that's where i was remembering more stuff um okay right um yeah good nick you were suggesting uh that we have him tell his story to arthel yeah yeah um yeah that's a good idea one of the interesting questions, though, is how do we show, and this, Trish, goes back to your question about his, like, abusive nature. Like, how do we, how do we reveal it, right? How do we, how soon, right. how much, and, you know, how fast do we reveal what he's really like? Um, again, I think it would be fun to have him look, again, like, not red flag free, but sort of redeemable, right? To, you know, have everybody at the end of this first big episode think this is going to be a really touching love story, right? Um, and, and also the, this is going to be a power couple. Power couple, absolutely. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. A, and especially this happens early in the season, right? So it sort of looks like, man, like we've gotten these two together early in the season. What might they accomplish? We know Arthel is big players, right? Right. Um, and uh, so we can include in that first episode him telling her things about himself. And they can all be true, but of course they can all be limited, right? He's only telling his own perspective. Um, he would... This could culminate in a betrothal scene, which almost has to happen. Doesn't it almost have to happen in the like clearing where Melian and Thingol got together, right? Um, directly recalling that. Um, and, you know, the thing is, his behavior, you know, 
there could be things that he does that for him are just really natural for him. But right. to us, it's like, whoa, dude, right. um, like controlling, right? Like it must happen now or it must be here or, you know, you're late or whatever the thing is, you know, like an outsized reaction in some cases right. to something right. just like fleeting. But for him, he doesn't think twice about that because that's just who he is. But we're kind of like, whoa, wait a second. Mm -hmm. Hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing is what I was thinking, at least early on, that would like be phase two, right? Yeah. Phase one is the what you just said about the coming together and everything looks rosy. And then this phase two is kind of like, mm, there's a little something off about this guy. Right. Yeah. You know, um, a great question. Do we show his weird silent servants? Oh, heck yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding? Creepy silent servants? We absolutely do that. Why wouldn't we do that? Um, but you know, Trish, I wonder if that's not the way we can start it, basically. Even more even, oh, even yeah, before that's a really good we point. show him doing yep. something. We show like evidence of <laughs> Which what of course he like. thinks is completely natural, right? Yeah. He doesn't see an issue and she's kinda like Ooh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I don't yeah. know why it just flashed on Lurch from the Adams family. <laughs> what, the silent servants? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. His silent servants, I'm thinking they're Avari, right? Who have, were, have been with him since the beginning. He doesn't have to be absolutely alone, does he? Um, he could have kind of creepy hangers on but he is like to like they never speak like we never see them speak um and they like we can show we can show them like deliberately avoiding speaking like to her right um, right yeah exactly right and i was thinking we avoid the anthropomorphic dishes um but you know it's kind of along those lines right yeah, there's, but, but Rihanna, I mean, you mentioned that Beauty and the Beast is exactly what we're invoking at the beginning here, right? This is a Beauty and the Beast situation where Aradel thinks she can, she can, she can handle this, right? Aradel thinks this is going to be a Beauty and the Beast situation. Um, uh, she's not going to delude herself. She's going to see the red flags. She's going to know that he's got some rough edges, right? Um, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like the anthropomorphic dishes, except completely opposite, <laughs> says Nick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. What does he tell about his backstory? What's Aeol's story? First, he would start at Quivienen. I was one of the original elves, by the way. Like, I totally awoke by the shores of Quivian. And she'd be pretty impressed by that, right? Oh, just like yeah, Grandpa. Yeah, she would be. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you know Grandpa? And he would know Grandpa, right? He would clearly remember her grandfather, right? Um, and he, but, you know, he uh, he didn't go to Valinor, and he would have um, uh, he would have a story for that, right? An explanation, and she would see in this, right, 
again, because she is in this mode where she's like rationalizing and she's believing she's overconfident right in her. She would see his story of Quivianen about how he did not think it was the right thing to go. And keep in mind, to the Noldor who have returned to Middle-earth, the decision to not go over to Valinor in the first place, there's something to be said for that, right? Um, she could see in him, in his story of how he like led the charge to not go to Valinor, as somebody who was perhaps wise and whose wisdom was unappreciated even by her grandfather, right? Not to mention he's also shown himself to be an independent thinker who's not afraid to take bold and decisive and unpopular action. Right? This is good raw material for the kind of leader that he could be. Right? Again, with the proper encouragement. Uh, absolutely. Um, so, I like that. Marielle, absolutely, he would react with sadness to learn about Finway's death. Right? She would tell him about Finway's death, and he would be. Um, uh, he would absolutely express sympathy for the death of Finway and say how much he respected uh, Finway. Um, and he would have known Muriel too, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Stephen Cover says, uh, ladies are always sucker for, suckers for guys who are contemporaneous with their grandparents. Yeah, a little different among <laughs> elves, though, Stephen. Come on, man. Uh, <laughs> the whole, you know. Um, so she'll be accused yeah. of having granddaddy issues. Yeah, granddaddy issues. Right, exactly. Um, uh, but as Nick says, you know, older men, it happens. It certainly, then again, especially among elves, right? Again, she would see herself as. I, again, like he is, this makes him more valuable as an ally because he's he's more than a than a peer, right? He is a peer to her grandfather. It's it's almost like she's imagining now. She 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 would have pictures of her and Ale, right, as being like you know. So there's there's uh, in the like power uh, setup here in Beleriand, right? There's Thingol and Melian, and there's the Noldor over there. Right, Thingol and Melian with Kirdan their ally, and then there's the Noldor who are all more or less allies with each other, right? And then here's this like, you know, free radical uh, here, right? Uh, who is he's, um, uh, you know, he doesn't have a big following, right? He doesn't have a whole lot of resources. So on the one hand, it might seem like she wouldn't be gaining much, but he's he's a legitimate other player. He is the peer of Thingol. Right. He is the peer of Finway. Um, this is a major player to bring into the situation. And then, of course, when you get the dwarf thing added in, right, Bob, but what would we really gain? You know, why ally ourselves to the one random loner dude? Again, answer the dwarves. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's all. That's all good. Um, good. Michael Dennis is saying even more than with the dwarves. Could she see him as a way to bridge uh, the Avari Noldor gap and expand the alliance among elves. Yeah, goodness, he he that all kinds of opportunity. He was a leader among the Avari, right? And there must be many Avari, even though they haven't met very many. The Noldor haven't met very many in Beleriand. There must be many of the Avari uh, still around in Middle Earth. Maybe, uh, maybe she, in addition to thinking about making allies of the dwarves, she also harbors big dreams. I think Aradel's a big dreamer. Right. Um, uh, she harbors big dreams of like going out 
with Aeol and going to find and bring across the mountains, you know, uh, uh, Avari, right, uh, to help them, because this is their fight, too. Um, um, yeah, that, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Nick, I think it's very ironic that you're the one who is primarily resisting me on the dwarf thing, because let me put this another way, Nick. This is your chance to get a dwarf plot. You want a dwarf plot this season? Here you go. If you don't take this, I don't know how I can help you, okay? Uh, Because we have an opportunity here to work a dwarf story into one of our main plot lines for the season. I'm not seeing it any other way. So, uh, you know... It might be kind of take it or leave it on the dwarf plot uh, 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 opportunity here. Um, but because, um, uh, I mean, I, I would like to keep the dwarf thing going. But I, I and, and again, I, I don't see any reason why this would uh, why this wouldn't work. But whatever. We'll see what other people think about this. Um, OK, so, yeah. Okay, so he tells her the story about Quiviana, and that and that that goes over like a house on fire, right? She's a big fan of that, and we get lots of conversation there. Um, this could tr- segue to Thingol, right? I mean, he's peers with Thingol, and he lives just their neighbors, right, with Doriath. So she would ask him about, you know, oh, do, do you know, you know, Thingol, and you live in like their special, you know, uh, meeting spot, Thingol and Melian. Um, so surely you must be friends there. And he'd be like, eh, not so much. Um, and here, obviously, he's going to tell that story. This is a story of oppression, right? About how he, so this would, he would make this look like a betrayal of him by Thingol, right? That, uh, I mean, I would think that that's how Aradel would hear it. Um, that, that Thingol has been guilty at least of, you know, ungraciousness and ingratitude uh, to him. Um, you know, instead of embracing him as a potential ally and seeing all of the wonderful potential that she sees in him, here's Thingol, like, you know, extorting gifts out of him and grudgingly giving him this one little bit of woods to hang out in. And um, Which, of course, sounds just like Thingol. Right, exactly. And what's more, with the tension between Thingol and the Noldor... You know, she's not going to have a hard time believing this, right? Um, as Florian points out, Thingol has been claiming to rule all of Beleriand and to just, like, grudgingly permit the Noldor to live on. So she would see the parallel with how he treated Aeol, right? And so she would again see them as natural allies, and he would um, uh, he would conceal the fact that... Um, he also hates the Noldor with bitterness and a fiery passion. That wouldn't come up originally. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so then what else? What else? Oh, he has to tell her about the meteor, right? And his discovery of Galvorn. Uh, and um, okay, okay. Um, that could be something that even comes up prior to the other stuff. He doesn't have to do it in chronological order, right? I mean, she could see, like, the black armor that he has, and she's a Noldo, right? So she's like, hey, whoa, weird metal. How'd you do it, right? Um, uh, and, um, yeah, so, he, and so he, he could explain, and this, again, this would, again, raise him in her opinion, right? Um, yeah. Come on, Nick. You know you've always wanted to write a romance 
that had uh, a metallurgical subplot, right? You know, like, it is our mutual love of metallurgy that brought us together. I mean, come on, that's a kind of a new angle. Right? Uh, well, we know we're going to have that someday with two dwarves, with a romance story with two dwarves, I'm sure. I mean, yeah, that's a given, right? A given. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yes. Tell me more about, you know, the smelting. Yeah, exactly. No. Tell me is... more about your alloy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, man. So much potential. So much potential. So we could get. But now my question is, how do we get the real story? Originally, of course, we were just we, we had been originally planning to work Aeol into the season four plot. Right. Show him interacting with Thingol, uh, show his discovery of Galvorn, all that stuff we were planning to integrate. And we ended up sort of cutting it right entirely. Um, if we I like the idea of him, to, I mean, we can set up his backstory and really weave that into Aravel's admiration of him and also strategizing around him. Right. That can all work really well, I think. But how do we show the reality? At some point, does she have any? I can't remember. Does she have any uh, interaction with the Fanorians once she gets together with Aeol? Um, I don't think so. Well, it's not okay, cordial, so, right? Yeah, I mean, the. Um, the Silmarillion. In. Silmarillion mode, right, does not give a lot of details, right? We don't know exactly. What we do know is when Aeol meets up with Kurafin at the end, Kurafin knows all about it, right? How did he know? That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Would he know? Yeah. Okay. I mean, he knows all about it. Um, and so she has to have come out like the story, even in the text, even in the published text itself, Tolkien cannot have intended the story to be that Aravel is entrapped within Nan Elmoth and she never leaves again. Right. And nothing right. is ever heard of her because how even you know, Corifin's response when Ale comes and says, hi, have you seen Aravel and my son? He'd be like, what are you talking about? I've not seen Aravel in decades, centuries. Right. Um, you know, so, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, how how do they even find out? So I think there has to be, and again, here, I think we can make this progressive, right? Um, I think if they get married and, you know, they speak their vows to each other and then immediately he's like, great, now I'm going to chain you in the basement, right? Like that's, first of all, it doesn't do justice to the complexity of the psychological situation that we're wanting to build. Um but it also, yeah, there are all kinds of problems with that, right? And and I think, therefore, if we're going to have his abusiveness increase over time and his possessiveness increase over time, and uh, therefore the restrictions on her would increase over time, too, I would think she would travel with him at first. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, uh, so I would think that she would travel with him at first and the first hint, I mean, so we could, 
that could be a first hint, right? She is, we could have um, maybe the second scene with them in a later episode, right? After their uh, beautiful romance, beautiful but slightly creepy romance of the first episode that they're together. In the second one, we see them out traveling together. And she could be like, okay, let's do the thing. Let's start it, right? Let's um, let's go. Let's go and talk to the sons of Fanor. They're nearby here, right? Um, and then you know I can tell them about our marriage, and we can get together. And he doesn't want to, right? He he doesn't let her go and reconnect with the sons of Fanor like she wants to. Again, he's not chaining her in the basement yet, but he's rest- he be- we see the first step of his restricting her, and it could sound sort of like. Um, uh, uh, it could sound sort of like um, they, you know, he's just like asking, you know, like, oh, you know, I'd really rather not, we you know, whatever. She, it, it doesn't have to look like abuse yet, but it's it's the first hint of his control of his restrictions on her. Um, Nick is suggesting they could run into Amros. Yeah, it's true. Amros is a uh, <laughs> relatively neutral party. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good. Florian says they could meet dwarves, but Aeol would speak Kuzdul with them and ignore the fact that she doesn't understand, um, and he wouldn't teach her the language. Ooh, um, that's that's I great. Like that. I like that idea. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, uh Nick says, okay, what if they meet with Amras and it doesn't go well, which Aeol spins to the idea that the Noldor will never accept him as he is until he takes his rightful place as the fourth king. They will never accept their marriage, so he uses this to isolate her. Um, okay. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I can definitely see. I mean, we want it to sound like concerning, but still kind of reasonable, and she's willing to go along with it willingly because... Again, she's still trying to work on him, and she sees this as a long-term project and everything. But again, we can kind of see. And this, I think, um, Trish, is where we can get into the kind of red flags that you were talking about. The kind of like him sort of overreacting in ways that kind of take her and the audience aback a little bit, right? Um, Mm -hmm. uh, That can be kind of part of this. Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cecilia, exactly. No, very, very few people do know the dwarves' language, but but Aeol's one of them, right? That's that's one of the things. Again, he is, and she again, she knows this. She's like, holy cow, you know the dwarves' language? She would be impre- It would be one of the things that would impress her, right? Um, and that's exactly it. They have been very closed. Certainly, they have not been teaching their language to Carinthir, right? Are we going to see him misinterpreting what they say? You know, like he interprets for them to her. But then we see him not actually telling her, you know, accurately what they said. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like we you see a, it in the we, sub, subtitles. Right. But... We, we get a gap between his translation and the subtitles. Yeah. 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 Uh huh. Exactly. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, we can start that. And so then eventually this will transition to him just confining her. Right. He doesn't let her. And but. Mygwin's birth should come fairly quickly, right? So if the riding out and meeting Amros adventure, which I like, Nick, um, happens... <laughs> Sorry. If that's if that's scene two, right, uh, or the second bit with Arthel and Aeol, 
the birth of Maeglin, I think, has to be bit three. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and that would be the first excuse to keep her at home, right? Um, and again, at first it seems like he's, you know, charmingly attached. He's, like, touchingly devoted to their son when, in fact, like, he's possessive, right? Uh, he's possessive and overprotective. Um, but it could still look maybe endearing, potentially, possibly. Um, then we can show things getting darker after that, and that helps us to bring in Myglin as a child. Um, we, when we come back for their fourth scene together, we'll be, you know, Myglin can be a kid, you know, somewhere in the elementary school years or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Ooh, Mariel, I like that. Mariel says one little flag can be that um, Aeol uh, should always call Maeglin my son. Right? She can refer to him as, as ours. Uh, but oh, yeah, he always, he always refers to him as my son. And remember, there's yes. that weird bit where he doesn't name him until he turns 12. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She gives him a name, right? Uh, also, him not wanting him called by the Quenya name is going to be another right indicator. Right, there's going to be another step down that road. Um, uh, yeah, Lomion versus Myglin, exactly. Um, but again, first creepily, Lomion, he doesn't call him anything. He just calls him my son, right? Um, uh, which, again, can sound cute at first uh, until it starts sounding really weird uh, and creepy and then disturbing. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we can have her telling a story of Gondolin and the Noldor to young Maeglin later on with his eyes all aglow and then Aeol breaking in and breaking it up and like, you know, don't you tell my son about that. And, um, uh, you know, and that's when, uh, that can be when finally his resentment against the Noldor is revealed. Um, and when I would think that could be a real, the real turning point where she begins to, she's not wholly given up yet, but she begins to suspect that she's back to a loser here and that this is not going to work out. Um, um, and she would become depressed, I think. I mean, I, I mean, I gotta think she would at this point. And then Myglin, you see, is going to rescue her because it's Myglin who is going to be saying, mom, let's run away. I want to rescue you, mom, uh, from this bad situation. Um, we do need to have Myglin being brought with him and learning from the dwarves and stuff. So, um, you know, that's, we need a, we need a teenage Myglin, uh, learning with his father, um, and being corrected and, uh, you know, that being uh, not a great situation and Myglin's own kind of simmering resentment. Also, remember that Myglin is his eyes, right? His uh, 
penetrating gaze, him seeing through things, is what he is noted for as child. And so having Maeglin be the one who, you know, all the way through from the beginning, we've had this sort of like appearance of goodness. Um, she herself has, have has you know, she's made this sort of castle in the clouds, right? She's made this, uh, this fantasy of what her life with Ao could be, what their career together, what they could accomplish together. And she's still kind of clinging to this, right? And he sees through that. He sees through her. He sees through him. Um, he can be the one who, um, ooh, what if the truth about, he's told the very ale-friendly versions of his backstory. What if it's Maeglin who perceives the truth, right? What if we could even do a thing where, like, you know, he's told the story about, like, his meeting with Thingol, right, for instance. And um, uh, then we have, like, Maeglin... You know, it comes up again later on and we have Maeglin, you know, sort of like meeting his father's eyes, staring into his father's eyes. And we like you know, and we cut to like a, a flashback of what really happened as if Maeglin is actually like reading that in his father's mind, seeing through his father's deceptions uh, and his facade into the dark truth that lies uh, behind it. Um, uh, yeah. Nick, I don't think we can possibly, in this kind of a situation, um, I don't think we can wholly avoid some Oedipus complex stuff. I mean, he's going to look like an Oedipus candidate. (laughs) I mean, I don't think that's avoidable. Um, Nor do I think, uh, you know, we need to worry about that too much. Um, Good. Cecilia points out also... um, Maeglin could be the one who realizes um, and tells Arathel about the mistranslations, right? That uh, the dwarves could be trying to warn Arathel, right, about Aeol, and he's mistranslating it and sort of explaining it away in various ways. Um, and, uh, what, and what if the, what if all his interactions with the dwarves make it like, abundantly clear that they're never going to cooperate with this guy that, mm-hmm. that her, her yes. sort of dream of like, you know, AO can be the one to unite our peoples uh, with me by his side. And the dwarves are just like, yeah, we're, we tolerate this guy, but because he makes good swords, but like he's, he's not the great ambassador that she. Right. she exactly. Exactly. So right, her, right. Her, her vision of him as the fourth King of the Eldar, you know, the, her vision of him as like the King of the Avari who will rally all the Avari to the cause against Morgoth. That's going to die very early. Right. Um, mm. Because he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go. He, he refuses to go and find the other Avari. Um, but she could still cling on to the dwarf idea, right? And the dwarves, but yeah, it becomes clear that that's definitely not working. They don't trust him. They don't like him. They don't trust him. They respect him, um, but they don't like him and they don't trust him. And and Maeglin can tell her, um, they've been trying to warn you this whole time. Like they don't, they don't trust him. Um, and of course, you know, it'd be really interesting is if, he comes and he tells his mother the truth about what the dwarves are saying, almost the whole truth. He would exaggerate it a little bit, right? He would mistranslate too. 
his mistranslations would be less evasive than his father's, right? But there would still be, there should still be a little twist there, right? Showing... There'll be... Oh, he'd be, what, sorry? His mistranslations would be self-serving. Yes. He wouldn't be, yes. he, wouldn't be he wouldn't be telling the right. truth. Right, right. He's exaggerating a little bit in the other direction for his to to right. help him, him accomplish his own ends. Because by then he's decided, Mygland is the one who has decided we need to go back to Gondolin, right? I want to be in Gondolin. And so his goal is to get his mom to leave so that she will take him back there. Um, yes. And so we see him twisting things just a little bit. Um, just showing that he is willing to bend the truth, showing that the apple has not fallen that far from the tree. Um, but I don't think we want to play Mygwin as super, super creepy. I, I think we want to leave the question of his destiny open. Um, I'm thinking that Mygwin, we don't, I think it'd be fun if Mygwin looks almost completely good, right? Like he's had a bad upbringing, right? I mean, his, his, look, his home life has been nothing to brag about. He, uh, uh, he definitely has some issues, but those can be explained by his poor nurture, right? In his in the house of an of an abusive father. Of course, he's going to have some issues, but you know, at heart, he's a good guy, and his mom has these strong convictions about him, and and um, and so the 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 audience should be rooting for her to take him, escape with him to Gondolin, right? And then he can finally become who he was meant to be, and he's now going to be in a positive environment, and you know what. Might my, my and and she can see like okay no I failed but maybe I didn't fail right you know me and Ale were not able to do anything at all in fact um, you know none of the things we had wanted to accomplish ever came to pass but Mygwen maybe actually maybe it's it's Mygwen who will be able to do these things right it's Mygwen who will be able to accomplish these things um, and the audience maybe believes what that if, it's possible. Um, I was gonna, yeah I was gonna say what if what if at this point the audience has no reason to believe that's not true unless of course they've read the books uh and um and maybe at this point we're kind of like we're like we're like ardell you gotta get out of there right. um and so when meglin when we see meglin like kind of like exaggerating to, yeah. to persuade his mom the audience should be rooting for him it's like it's, you know we should right. it should make us a little uneasy but we should be like but hey look you gotta convince right. her it's a good to get cause. out of here yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, she is both stubborn and also depressed, and you know she doesn't. She, but you know he's going to encourage her and help her along. Yeah, yeah. And then, so when she dies, for Mygwen's sake, this is the culmination of her own despair for herself and her like her own all of her visions for her own career, all of her own her visions for what she could accomplish and what she was going to be able to contribute to the these have all fallen to the ground right um but Mygwen is her last hope right um and so when she throws herself in front of Mygwen and takes the spear um it this would be her sacrificing herself um good Julie points out there's a there's a kind of parallel between her and Muriel here um you know, the sacrificing herself for her mighty son. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And Nick, the, the uneasy feeling that I think we, we could leave everybody with a very uneasy feeling about my Glenn in the final episode. Um, no, I'm, I don't mean of the season. I mean, this plot lines, final episode, whenever that is, um, Remember that he is just totally and creepily silent the whole time, right? He keeps answering nothing. Myglin answered nothing is one of Tolkien's, like, classic little short sentences, you know, like, and Morgoth came. Um, uh, Myglin refused. He doesn't say anything in response. His father appeals to him and he says nothing, right? Um the judgment is passed against his father and he says nothing again. Uh, he is cursed by his father as his father is about to get thrown off the precipice to his death and he says nothing, right? Um, the questions of like, what is going on in his head, I think, are what is... That's how I would want to play his silence there at the end. Um, you know, not a smoking gun. We don't show Myglin as villain. You know, we, we don't we don't we don't reveal that at the end or something. But um, uh, but raising this question of like, OK, you know, what exactly is going on in this guy's head should be that should be a question people are thinking when they see the Myglin scenes there at the end. OK. OK, cool. Um yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Unsettling silence. That, that That's what we're going for there. Okay. Good. So we're running late. I think we should probably call it there at the uh, having established the story of Arthel and, a- and Aeol. I think there's a lot of really good material here. I think this could work out really, really well. Um, I'm excited with this outline that we've established here. Um, we have other minor characters among the elves that we think this was the biggest thing that we were trying to get to tonight. Um, we still need to talk about like, what's Thingol up to? What's Kyrdin up to? Uh, what's going on with Gladriel and Celeborn exactly? Um, and, uh, you know, some other things like that. Um, we also need to talk about the bad guys. We need to talk about, oh, and the, and speaking of the bad guys, we need to talk about our, uh, escaped prisoners. We need to get Rog and Anile out of jail. Uh, this season and figured out what the plan is there. Um, uh, so, yeah, and Florian, do we need to get Gilgalad born this season? Possibly we do. Um, probably we do. Uh, so, yeah. And a session devoted to the worldviews of elves and men. Agreed. But I want to I want to wait on that, Maria. I think we'll do, let's do the let's do the the more like direct plot stuff first, and then we'll get back to the the thematic stuff. After that, I would say. So, yeah, so let's do we'll, next time we'll do the miscellaneous elves. And then if we get through that and to the catch and release elves, we will then also the talk about the bad guys, too. <laughs> yeah. They get tagged. They get ear tagged. <laughs> they do. They get psychically <laughs> tagged. That's that's just yeah, what happens. Do, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So miscellaneous elves. And villains. That's what we'll shoot for next time. And the next time in question... I knew we weren't going to get to the miscellaneous elves tonight, yeah, but I didn't okay. want to say that up front. You know? uh, yeah, it's all right. That's all right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the Thorin Gwethel plot line. Agreed, Florian. We got we to gotta, we gotta, yeah. figure that out. Yep, yep. Um, okay. 
Right. Good. No, excellent. I think that, we, hey, we did the big job. That was what was important. That's right. got to do justice mm-hmm. to the Arthel and Aeol story. Uh, and I am really mm-hmm. looking forward to our, like, anti-romance, you know, the, the mm-hmm. sort of Beauty and the Beast thing at the beginning. Like, that's lots of potential there. Lots of potential did, there. Did we talk about, should we have a rose under a glass on a table someplace <laughs> in this house? <laughs> Just a withered rose. That's all. Yeah, withered rose. Yeah, yeah. A withered rose. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I collect withered roses. Nothing creepy there. Um, okay, <laughs> very good. Thanks everybody for joining us. So yeah, we'll we'll do that next time. Next time we'll be two weeks from now. Uh, our next our next uh, episode, next session, uh, will be on the twenty seventh of August, uh, Thursday, August twenty seventh. Um, thank you everybody for joining us today (coughs) and um, look forward to further plot resolutions for next time thank you everybody thanks for listening and godspeed